Chapter 28 Don't be afraid of Rizzle, the kid called Johnny Diamond said. He can be harsh, but he's just trying to keep us safe. Everyone was getting ready to go to the caves, but I'd remain rooted on the rock long after the feast, thinking about my family. I thought about how Ella's face lit up when she looked at Iggy, and how she never even got to go to a school dance with him. About how, even though my mom was super smart and at the top of her field, she was always trying to do mom things for me, like cooking great meals and getting me my own bed with fancy sheets and snuggling me, even when I resisted, because she knew I secretly craved that contact. I remembered how they both opened their home to me the very first day we'd met, never mind that I was a stranger, a mutant, and being shot at by stupid teenage boys. Yet, though I managed to look out for the rest of my flock, I hadn't kept my human family safe when it mattered. And now, though I could still hear Ella's laugh and remember what my mom smelled like, antiseptic, vanilla shampoo, and cinnamon gum, I couldn't quite picture their faces. Anyway, I'd been meditating on that cheery subject for hours, so I must have looked pretty desolate by the time Johnny came in. But scared? Of Rizzle? Doubtful. Who says I'm afraid of anything? I asked, sitting up straighter. Johnny chuckled and scooped at the pile of fish bones, tossing them back into the sea. Well, you should be scared about the state of the world. If you've survived out there for this long, I figured you'd know that by now. I eyed the belching volcano in the distance, and the swirls of hardened lava just a few feet away. My expression softened. Yeah, this whole apocalypse thing is pretty surreal, huh? Did my mom... Did Dr. Martinez know what happened? What caused it? Johnny grabbed the rope netting, then sat down next to me onto the rock ledge. I thought she said something about Russia's betrayal. My eyebrow shot up at the mention of the very place Angel had gone to, but Johnny shook his head uncertainly. That day was really crazy, though. Pierpoint had all this high-tech equipment, but all it told us was that a few small objects had exploded on contact with the Earth's atmosphere. Meteors. That's what Dylan had said, too. But they couldn't have been small. They must have been huge. And more than just a few of them, judging by the mess we saw. We were all in the caves by then, though, so we couldn't see what was happening outside. The sky caught fire, I said remembering how there had been a huge black hole ringed in flames. But here's the thing. The hits were only reported in the Pacific. So? So the local tsunamis would have been caused by the impact. But what about the other reports we heard? Johnny seemed to catch himself. He focused on the net in his lap, nodding it expertly. Sorry, you don't want to get me started on all my theories. Hey, I asked, didn't I? I took a length of rope and mimicked his hand movements. I'm a big fan of conspiracy theories. They line up with my real-world experience, that pretty much everyone I meet is out to get me. Johnny's eyes became animated. Okay, so the meteor fragments were in the Pacific, he repeated. But that first day, we got news blips from all over the world about other sudden disasters. Too many global events for coincidence. He gestured with his spear gun on the rock, as if marking the spots on a map. I'm talking rumors of nukes being deployed in Africa several heads of state murdered, a lockdown in the U.S., a major epidemic in East Asia. There's a lot we don't know, but I'm positive it was all orchestrated by people with a lot of money and power. They wanted to destroy the world, and might not be too happy to find out a bunch of mutant kids survived. I've been telling Rizzle we need more weapons. He stabbed the spear into the sand, and looked up, as if scanning for trouble from the sky. 
We might have to be prepared to fight. I guessed his theories were more right than wrong. What else did he know? Right before she died, my mom warned us about a biological weapon called the H8E virus, I told him. Did you hear about any connection to the Apocalypticus? Or the Doomsday Group? Or H-Men? Or the Remedy? If anyone knows her genocidal terrorist flashcards by heart, it's me. I certainly have enough experience with them at this point. The epidemic started right before the meteor, and together, they must have wiped out most of the people in the world. We haven't heard any updates since that very first day, before the tsunami hit and the caves flooded. Which reminds me, we should be heading out in just a few minutes. Let's get you suited up. He stood up and started lugging over the ancient oxygen tank he'd brought in. Since all the equipment stopped working, we've been totally cut off from the rest of the world. He shrugged. Rizzle says it's better this way, that we have everything we need in the caves, and we shouldn't go looking for trouble. Sounds familiar. What do you think? I asked. Johnny opened his mouth, but hesitated. I think trouble's rarely in hiding, he answered finally. And if someone planned something on this scale? His eyes widened, magnified by his glasses. Then none of us is safe. Chapter 29 I don't need that, I said, waving away the oxygen tank Johnny had set in front of me. He continued sorting tubes. There should be a little bit left in the cylinder, but we keep a couple spares for emergencies. I can breathe underwater, I insisted. Same as you. Johnny sat back and looked at me. For how long? Well, a long time, I said, and at great depth. I nudged the cylinder with my foot. So, I don't need that. Trust me. Johnny frowned at my wings. Those things are going to cause you serious drag. At least I don't have freaking scales all over my back, I snapped. Johnny grinned good-naturedly. Don't take it so personally. There's always someone in the group who's a little vulnerable. He touched the frames of his glasses and grinned. How many aquatics do you think need a prescription? I pursed my lips, unmoved, and Johnny shrugged. Okay, so you don't need it to breathe. Fine. But can you do me a favor and bring it with you? That way the tanks will be at the caves. Otherwise, I'll have to leave it here. Okay, that made sense. I could do him a favor. I lifted the backpack with its heavy, dinged-up tank. The straps weren't going to fit over my oh-so-graceful, draggy wings, so I wore it backward, with the single tank in front of my chest. Nudge, also carrying an oxygen tank in front, went in right before me. I plopped in last, splashing with my awkward tank, and as I swam after them toward the mouth of the tunnel that would take us to our sanctuary, I tried to work on a little thing called humility. Chapter 30 We swam. I kept my wings folded tightly against my back. I'm not a bad swimmer, but the aquatics had obviously been designed for this. Though clumsy and awkward on land, in the water they became graceful, fluid, powerful swimmers. The ocean, which only three months ago had been crystalline, a clear, clean aqua, was now a murky, opaque sludge with almost zero visibility. I followed Johnny mostly by the swirling eddies of ash particles, while trying to keep an eye on Nudge. The stupid oxygen tank made it hard to swim, weighing me down, and I considered ditching it. Aye! The panic scream was garbled and muffled, but unmistakable. My head whipped around, and I saw nothing but churned-up sludge. More screams echoed through the water around me, and I glimpsed a couple of the aquatics speeding past me with terrified expressions. What's happening? Where is Nudge? Was it... a party? 
The murky water seemed alive with streamers whipping and writhing in the currents. Could this be some sort of welcoming ceremony? Someone had been surprised and screamed? Oh god. Oh god. My brain had no time to think except to register, these streamers are alive. They were eels, or water snakes, and they were freakishly large. Slick ropes of muscles 15 feet long and as thick as my waist. They made looping S's through the water, disappearing and reappearing confusingly, so that I lost all sense of direction. But the most horrible part was their mouths. Their whole heads, really, were circular vacuums of death, with rows and rows of teeth spiraling inward toward a gaping hole. The kind of thing you don't want to see on a movie screen, let alone near your leg. Uh-huh. My leg. There it was. Slimy and quick, with its razor-sharp teeth moving closer and closer to my flesh. Once it attached, I felt a powerful, leechy-sucking sensation, and then the first jolt of pain. I kicked at it, but my splashing just seemed to attract more of them, and I could only hold them off so much longer. Desperate, I did the only thing I could think of. I slipped off the straps of the oxygen tank and quickly turned its valve. Immediately, pressurized bubbles burst out of it with the power of a fire hose, sending the eels wheeling away from me. I grinned victoriously, but then blanched when I realized why the eels weren't returning. A flash of color on the olive green water caught my eye. It was striped, like Johnny Diamond's shirt. They'd found a new target. Johnny. I kicked with my legs, aiming my tank, but stopped in horror as I took in the scene. One had suctioned onto him, and the snake-like body streamed out from his chest. For a second, it just seemed like a small inconvenience. An odd extra limb. And Johnny tugged at the tail determinedly. For a second. And then Johnny's expression changed. His mouth opened in a silent scream, a flurry of bloody bubbles escaping from it, and the muscles in his neck tightened into cords of agony. His eyes bulged in disbelief as his legs flailed and his hands scratched and tugged at the creature desperately. The sucking mouth was burrowing into him. Aiming my tank, I opened the valve, but only a tiny stream of bubbles came out. I'd used up the last of the oxygen. My mouth pressed tight in shock. I saw Johnny's head go limp, his whole body becoming boneless, like a ragdoll's. Instinctively, I moved away from him. When I looked back a final time, more toothy mouths had latched onto Johnny's body, burrowing into his chest, thighs, and stomach, until he looked like some sort of mutant octopus. Two brilliant red ribbons of blood floated up out of his nostrils. Something brushed against my arm, and I kicked wildly a rush of adrenaline making my ears sing. But it was only Nudge, as stricken as I was. I was freaking out, but I grabbed Nudge's hand and swam hard in what I thought was the direction of the tunnels. All I wanted was to breathe real air, scream, and then cry. When a few inches of space opened above the water, we surfaced, gasping. Behind me, a bloom of crimson stained the turquoise sea. The splashing had stopped. Chapter 31 in today's world, heaven pretty much boiled down to actual beds, reliable shelter, and a consistent food source. The caves were something else altogether. Look how beautiful it is. Nudge's voice was tired. Her face was pale with shock and the effort of swimming through the death tunnel. I tried to quickly count heads, but I could only estimate that we lost about six of the aquatics. More than half the number that had started with us. And the weird thing was... Not a single person seemed bothered by Johnny's gruesome death, or the loss of several of their friends. No one had mentioned it, no one seemed surprised, and no one was crying, which told me that it was a common occurrence. 
that they had known about the horrific eel, snake, leech things, and had gone anyway. Had made us go in anyway. Now we were here, in supposed safety. I kept Nudge close to me, not trusting these guys for a second. The tunnel opened up into a large hall, and Dino Pierpoint had gone all out with the decorations. There were pillars and balconies, and the walls were elaborately carved shells. The ceiling hundreds of feet above was a skylight of thick glass, so dull light shone down in speckled puddles of water, making them shimmer. The result was an Olympic-sized natural swimming pool that was cut off from the danger of the open water. The result was an Olympic-sized natural swimming pool that was cut off from the danger of open water. I watched other aquatics splashing around, flicking their fins happily. Max, Nudge whispered, doesn't this remind you of... I nodded. This mutant kid utopia reminded me exactly of the paradise we'd first believed our island to be, and that's what made me nervous. Because we all know how well that turned out. I found Rizzo at the communal table, surrounded by elaborate platters of fish, more fish, soup with fish in it, and then for dessert, like, fish. I slid into the seat across from him. He looked mildly annoyed, but he didn't ask me to leave. Let's talk about the huge, kid-eating eels of death, I said conversationally. Rizzo was distracted by his dinner and barely looked up. Hmm. The giant eely snake things that turned Johnny Diamond into Swiss cheese? I prompted. Oh, them. Rizzle shoved a large spoonful of stew into his mouth. Lampreys. Lampreys aren't that big, so I'm assuming they're weird, gigantic, mutant lampreys. At any rate, no one seems too bothered that those lampreys just reduced your numbers by six. I stared at him impatiently. It happens, he said, chewing. We tend to lose someone every few days. Every few days? I repeated, gaping at him. Rizzle shrugged. Generally, they only pick off the less advanced. There's always someone in the group who's a little vulnerable, Johnny had said. That was supposed to be me, and would have been, if I hadn't taken the oxygen take he'd insisted I take. Have some sashimi, Rizzle said, spearing some hunks with his knife and plopping them in front of me. The eel is terrific. My mind flashed back to that horrible image of Johnny, the moment he stopped struggling against the lamprey. Nauseated? I pushed away the plate and left the table. I needed to think, which meant I needed to fly. Unfurling my wings, which had been folded up all day, I pushed off and rose toward the glass ceiling. My feathers twitched as I tried to imagine myself flying in circles around these walls, day after day. I was already feeling claustrophobic. Cruising high above the chatter, I went over everything Johnny had said earlier that morning. I needed something to make it easier to cope, a moral to take away from this and my thoughts drifted back to the flock. Like Iggy, Johnny had needed a resolution. Like Gazzy, he'd been building tools to fight, instead of hide. And like Angel, he had been sure there was more to be done. I'm not saying I was wrong, before. I'd never say that. But maybe I could understand a little better why my flock had insisted on leaving. If there was a reason so many people I cared about had died, if none of us was safe, could I really keep looking away? Didn't I owe it to them to hunt down the truth? Rizzle says we shouldn't go looking for trouble, Johnny had said, and that was pretty much what I told the flock yesterday. But if I lived by that rule, would I really be Maximum Ride? Chapter 32 Nudge, wake up. I don't know why I was whispering. There were rows and rows of beds built into the coral wall, but Nudge's and mine were the only two that were occupied. 
I guess the lampreys had pretty much decimated the aquatics. What was Rizzle thinking? Turtle was lying on the floor. Since Aquila died, he had been uncharacteristically quiet, spending time on his own, lying around a lot. I knew he was grieving, and I wished I could do more for him. Looking at the empty beds, I could still feel some lingering sense of the kids who should have been here. The mutants and humans who'd believed they were safe. I wondered if Ella had slept in any of these bunks. Come on, Nudgelet, let's go, I said more loudly, and shook her shoulder. Go, Nudge mumbled, sinking deeper into the sponge mattress. Yeah, I said. We should be gone before the fish sticks return from the morning hunt. Nudge propped herself up on her elbows, alert now. You want to leave? Why? Uh, because we're in mutant-eating lamprey-infested waters? Did you see how everyone shrugged off Johnny's death yesterday? Rizzle is just another crazy leader in a long, long line of crazy leaders we've dealt with. Do you really need another reason? We can't stay here. Nudge blinked at me, her eyes round with alarm and already brimming. What do you mean we can't stay? From the ground near the door, Toto raised his furry eyebrows at me, but he didn't say anything. Nudge, on the other hand, was incredulous. You wanted this! The flock split up. Everyone left us because you wanted to come back to this island. I know. That was before... Before I knew my family was really dead. Before I heard Johnny's theories. Before it seemed like someone could be held accountable. That was before we knew the vaccine was wiped out by the tsunami, I said. Now there's no reason for us to stay. I mean, don't you want to know what happened? Don't you want some answers? No! Ned shook her head emphatically. That's why I didn't leave with Angel. I know more than I ever wanted to know already, and most of it's terrible. I'm tired, Max. Tired of flying around hoping for something better. The aquatics have a good thing going on here. Rarities like, you know, food and actual beds. She waved her pillow. These kids are survivors, just like us. And we're lucky they made us welcome. These kids are not like us. These kids are sociopaths. Ned shrugged. Maybe their culture is just uncomplicated. Staying here won't help you forget about the past. I said gently. And leaving won't help you change it. She bit back. The world ended, Max. And I promise, nobody blames you for not being able to save it. You don't have to go. I held Nudge's gaze for a long time, weighing her words. I need to know the truth, I said quietly. I didn't before, but now I think... I think truth is better than relative safety. Nudge nodded and hugged her pillow close, and I knew she wouldn't change her mind. So, you're going to stay here, I said, just to make sure. Nudge nodded again. I looked at Total. The Scotty dog stood up, puffed out his wiry chest, and seemed to grow a little taller. I will miss you, of course, Max, but I will stay here with Nudge. I need time to heal, time to reflect. Of course you do, I said, picking him up. He snuggled his head into my shoulder, and I tried not to cry. Nothing about my life made sense. I was going on pure instinct and it was like I was walking on a tightrope, with the safety net of my flock gone. When Total looked up, his chocolate eyes were glistening. Here, Nudge said, taking an oversized sweatshirt from her bedding. Rizzle said temperatures are dropping. They can sense the extra oxygen in the water. 
It's okay, I don't need... Nedge rolled her eyes. I know, you don't need help from anyone. I'm trying to give you a farewell gift. Just take it, okay? My nudgelet. Her spiral curls were fuzzy from sleep, and I kissed the top of her head affectionately. You take extra good care of yourself, here? If I come back and find you dead, I will personally haul you out of the grave and kill you again. My stern lecture and a watery smile. You take care too, Max. As I walked through the cavernous halls toward the entrance, it was the first time in a long time I'd been alone. And if I'm being honest, it scared the crap out of me. But there was one other thing Johnny had said that stuck with me. There's always someone in the group who's a little vulnerable. On my own, at least I'd be forced to be strong. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Max Married Bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am all that Mark, and we got a couple comments from the Spotify Q&A thing. The first one was from Emily, who said, How many times will the flux split up? Again. And the second one was from Axolotl, who said, I don't want the flock to break up again. Yeah, they're, uh... Their promise to not ever break up the flock ever again, ever ended pretty fast, I gotta say. <laughs> I know it's to create, like, drama and stuff, but, uh, honestly, the flock is kind of valid for not wanting to stick with Max, because she is, she doesn't know it, she is grieving horribly about the end of the world, and she is not taking it very well. <laughs> and she just... Like she said, she can't figure out how to cope with everything changing all at once and all of her friends leaving her and, ugh, poor kid. I rag on Max a lot, but, like, poor kid, you know? I had a relatively normal upbringing and I also don't think I would be able to cope with the end of the world like this. But, yeah, poor Max. But, yeah, thank you, Emily and Axolotl. Alright, let's move on to the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the 2007 first-person shooter video game, Bioshock. So, uh, I feel like I've already recommended Bioshock before, but them going to the, like, underwater caverns and stuff kind of reminded me of that, so I was like, why not? So, the protagonist, Jack, crashes on a plane in the Atlantic Ocean and is the only survivor. He's able to swim to a lighthouse that has a, like, submarine ship in it. And when he gets in it, it takes him to the underwater city of Rapture, which was created in the 1940s as a utopia for, like, society's best and brightest. Uh, the creator, Andrew Ryan, thought that since they had all these great minds together, they wouldn't get polluted by any of, like, the evil, bad stuff that's in regular society. So uh, what they would make there would be, like, incredible, just, like, advancements way past what they would normally be making, like, on the surface. And he was kind of right in that. They discovered a thing that lets people basically change their DNA on the spot and lets them, like, shoot lightning and fire and stuff. It's really, really cool. It's one of my favorite mechanics in the game. So poor dear Jack has to... So poor dear Jack has to struggle to find his way through Rapture and try not to die, hopefully. <laughs> I absolutely adore this game. I love, love, love the style. Since Rapture was created in the 40s, everything in Rapture has this absolutely gorgeous Art Deco style that is just beautiful. Despite having come out in 2007, 
I still actually really think that the graphics and stuff are beautiful. Uh, I've been working my way through the series. I'm like halfway through uh, Bioshock 2 and I've not even touched Bioshock Infinite, so we'll see where that goes. <laughs> but yeah, um, I actually got Bioshock for the Switch because it came in a uh, three pack of all three games. Uh, but you can also get it on the Epic Game Store and, of course, Steam, which is where I will link in the show notes if you want to go check that out. I feel like it's one of those games that goes on sale for every Steam sale, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but you can put it on your wish list, and Steam will notify you if it goes on sale. But I absolutely think it's a game that, like, if you're a fan of first-person shooters, I absolutely think you should play this game. So yeah, I will leave a link in the show notes to the Steam profile for Bioshock. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, that's all I got to say for this time. So until next time, fly on. Fly on.